We are starting a new series today called Living Legacy, and it's primarily on the topic of parenting and kids. The subtitle to that, though, is Reproducing a Faith That Lasts. And uh, whether you're a parent or not, uh, please don't tune out the next several weeks. If you're not, I mean, if you're a parent, especially. (laughs) But uh, even if you don't have kids of your own, because really all of us are called to reproduce our faith, are we not? Whatever, I mean, we said this in the last series in Everyday Essentials, whatever God puts in you, he wants to do through you. So if he does something to you, he wants to do it through you to other people, which means that we don't just walk by faith with Jesus, we reproduce, we multiply our faith into other people. And so we all actually have to know how to do that, whether it's with our own kids or with other kids that are in our church family or uh, even uh, adults. We need to know how to do that. And so, uh, so we're going to spend some time talking about how to do that, specifically through the perspective of parenting. But hopefully, if you're not a parent, you'll still pick up a whole lot of good stuff over the next several weeks. Um, secondly, I, I just need to mention this as we start. Um, no one is an expert on parenting. Now, I know people get paid to, to do that kind of work and write books, but I'll just say... Uh, it, it is a field of study that I, I'm, the longer I'm one, I realize I have no idea how to do it. So I, please don't think like I'm up here talking about parenting as the expert in the room. I, I'm coming to this as a fellow learner alongside of you, and I have a lot, a lot to learn, okay? I'm, and that's becoming more and more evident. It's funny because, it, you know, you get to a, a point in, in your parenting and you start to think, all right, maybe I'm learning some things. And, and it was funny because when I was planning out this series, I was kind of at that point where I'm like, okay, like we're, we're learning how to, how to manage some, some things here. I feel like we're moving forward. And then as we got closer and closer to starting the series, more and more of my like supposed wisdom is just flying out the window. You know, so like we get closer and closer to the series and I'm like, I have nothing. I don't know. Everything I thought I had is now gone. And so I need to start over again. And that's oftentimes how parenting is. So, so please know that uh, I need as much help in this area as, as all of us do. But here's the, the thing. We're going to, uh, throughout the series, we're going to work from kind of three foundational principles that are going to be woven throughout the series. You're going to hear these pop up kind of over and over again. Okay? And so if you're going to write down notes, you might want to write these things down. The first one is that Jesus is really the only true Son of God. And you think, okay, what does that have to do with parenting? Well, here's the thing. There's only one perfect child, and his name was Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago. And if you don't actually go to Jesus for your kids, you'll expect your kids to be Jesus, which will, play, which will put far too much of a burden on them and far too much disappointment on you. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through this. There are no perfect kids. There was only one. And there is only one perfect parent, so the pressure is off of you. You don't need to be the perfect parent. In fact, God the Father is the only perfect parent. And so you need to know, parents, if you haven't figured this out, or those of you who are thinking about parenting down the road, you will fail. You think, and those of your parents are like, no kidding, <laughs> right? Just tell me something I don't know. But we, we need to understand that, that we're not going to be perfect kids. We can't raise perfect kids, nor can we be perfect parents. 
Jesus was the only one to come and do both of those things. He perfectly shows what God the Father is like, and he came to be the perfect child for us. And so what that means throughout this series is that we're going to need him. We can't do parenting without him. If you've been kind of sold the lie that you can, please reconsider that. Because it will not work. We need him. Secondly, we need a good source for how to understand parenting. And what we're going to say is that the, the Bible is our greatest parenting resource. I was doing some research this week and found that on Amazon there are 106,000 books on parenting. You want to do some light reading over the weekend, you're going to have to spend a lot of money. But there's 106,000. And if you Google the words parenting advice, you come up with 93 million articles. There's a lot of advice out there. And so we have to know, where do we go first? Well, we believe that the first source that we should go to is God because He is actually the perfect Father. He was the one who designed parenting. He was the one that designed discipleship and spiritual multiplication. So he knows better than anyone how to go about this deal. And so that doesn't mean that there isn't good wisdom out there, but we're going to check all of our wisdom against what he has to say. And we're going to start with what he has to say. And then the last thing is this. This is something I'm learning more and more of as I've had uh, more than one child, is that every child is unique. Right? Right? And another one of those, no kidding. Every child is unique. And so what that means is there's no one-size-fits-all strategy to parenting. There's no, like, if I have A plus B plus C, it equals this. It doesn't work that way. How many of you have tried to parent all of your kids the same way and they come out completely different? It happens, right? There's no one-size-fits-all. So each child is different and unique, and because of that, they need a unique approach to how you discipline them and train them and so on. And so what this series is not going to be is, is kind of a cut and paste, like apply the techniques and everything will go well for you type series. So if you're looking for that, that's not going to happen over the next few weeks, I'm sorry to say. But the good news is that we have a God who wants to help us and so we get to come to him and ask for wisdom on how to parent our kids. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Psalm 127. Um, if you're going to follow along in our books uh, that we've got, our Bibles here, it's on page 430. And um, Psalm 127 is the psalm that we often read during baby dedications, which we have coming up in a couple weeks, right? And so it's, it's kind of the, the famous or, or well-known psalm uh, that has to do with what kids are. Uh, if you know anything about the psalms, psalms are songs that are sung in order to help us to acquire wisdom about how God would want us to live. And so there, there were songs that were sung, and as we would sing them, much like the way that songs get stuck in our head, and then we end up repeating you know, the song over and over again, and it teaches us something, hopefully. Um, in the same way, that's way, the way the Psalms were designed. And this particular one, Psalm 127, was a psalm that was designed to give wisdom to parents. And so it would have been sung at a child's birth. And the purpose of the psalm was to remind parents of who children are and how to understand parenting. Okay, so that's kind of the purpose. So Psalm 127, we're going to read the whole thing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their, with their opponents in court, or some translations say in the city gate. So, who does it say children are? They're a heritage. What else? A reward, good. Yeah, weapons in the hands of a warrior. Kids are dangerous. <laughs> Sometimes to all kinds of people. <laughs> Sometimes it seems to mom and dad. What else? They're a blessing. Yeah. Let me ask this. What does our culture often say about who children are? What are some of the narratives out there about the identity of kids that we often hear? Yeah, Corey. Okay. Yeah, so they reflect on their parents. Yeah. And sometimes that influences the way we parent, right? Because if, if, if children are a reflection of their parents, then I know oftentimes that leads us to parent our kids based on what people will say of you through your kids, right? So we, they, they become kind of uh, idols, if you will, of even our own identity. And how they're treated in the world, we think, has a lot to say with how we feel like we're treated in the world. What else? What are some of the other things? They could be good or bad. I'm, what's that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of goes along with the they resemble their parents, right? Yeah. What else? Yeah, they're expensive, which is true, right? What's the I I forget what the average cost is now. A trillion <laughs> per child, right? <laughs> and so, what what often then gets said as a result of kids being expensive? They're an inconvenience or a burden, right? As a society, we're having kids later than we've ever had before. And the primary reason for that is because most people, young people especially, see kids as a burden not to get entangled with because it limits your freedom, doesn't it? it I mean, that's the, the line anyway. You can't do what you want to do anymore when you have kids. And parents, that is true, right? Um, but we see that as a restriction of our freedom rather than greater freedom. Okay, so so yeah, so the so kids are a, a genetic kind of representation of the parents, and so that that I mean we can internally feel maybe the pressure of that, like would I want the world to have another me? Um, but I'm <laughs> for a whole host of reasons, right? Um, but societally, and, and um, I mean, this, this, is, this has been a very big danger in the in Western world in the 20th century especially, 
where genetics played a huge role in deciding, like, I mean, think of World War II, who lived and who died. If, you know, if this child is a genetic representation of their parents and they are a lesser being or species than this one, then they should be eliminated and this one should be propped up. On a societal level, that's very dangerous thinking, right? But individually, it can, it can get into our, our makeup and, and the way that we make, make decisions too. We might be worried about certain, you know, passing on certain diseases or whatever the case might be. Yeah, yeah. What are most budget um, squabbles over on a state level? How we, how we pay for education, right? It's the lion's share uh, oftentimes of a state's budget is how we pay for education. And there are a lot of people out there that go, I don't understand why we're paying so much. Now, some of that might be because of the system, but uh, some of that might be a, a, a reflection on how we, we, you know, who we believe kids to be whether or not it's really a worthy investment. Carol, I think it's here. Yeah. Yeah, so your uh, vitality or virility, if you will, is a, is a reflection on your, your personhood so, or your wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So more equals more blessing. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're kind of... Um, we have... A, a double mindset when it comes to kids because on the one hand, we, I think we, as a society we see them as a burden. And then on the other hand, um, when, when we have kids, they become uh, such a, a, a... We feel like they need so much protection and we, and as parents, end up like our entire world revolves around them, which makes them think that they're the center of the world. And, uh, and so we end up... You know, our entire schedules and finances and everything are completely wrapped around our kids. And that often results in us being stressed out and having no time because, well, you know, Johnny's got to go to, you know, six different sports. And Because if, if he doesn't go to six different sports, um, he won't be well accepted by his peers. If he won't be well accepted by his peers, he won't have self-esteem. If he doesn't have self-esteem, then he won't do well in school. If he doesn't do well in school, he won't get into college. If he doesn't go into college, then he won't get the job that he wants. If he doesn't get the job that he wants, he won't be self-sustaining as an individual. And we, we, we do all of this like huge decision-making in terms of, of who our kids are going to turn out to be. And all of it is just us trying to control who they end up being. And we end up completely stressed out about it. It's, I mean, it's interesting the way that oftentimes kids are valued in some some points and then completely not at other times. See, simply though, here's what God says about kids. They're primarily three things. They're a heritage, a blessing, and a reward. And so we have to understand what that means. So the, the word heritage is interesting because it, it really means that for kids to be a heritage means they're a way that God gives you the ability to have a broader impact than you can with your own life. So they carry what you can't carry to places you can't go to bless people that you can't bless. They're, they're a, an extension of your life. And that's why actually we're calling this series Living Legacy is because you actually get to see your life through kids and your impact in their lives have a greater impact in the world that you could ever have 
without them. And that's actually true of any kind of parenting or investment that you do. You don't actually have to be a biological parent to have a spiritual impact and heritage in the world. You really don't. And if you do think that, then I think you're missing the point. But by God's grace, as you invest, as you see your kids as a heritage, you might actually see that kind of multiplication and discipleship happen even within your lifetime. Wouldn't that be phenomenal if you saw your kids as a heritage? And then secondly, they're a blessing. And for something to be a blessing means that that we are given something that we clearly do not deserve. That's what it means to bless someone. It's not to give someone what they've deserved or earned. It's to give someone what they have not earned or have not deserved. And that's how God is, right? He is the one who gives gifts to those who could never repay what's necessary to earn the gift that He gives. He is by nature and virtue of who He is a blessing God. And He gives good gifts to those who don't deserve them. And so parents, I just want to ask you this. When is the last time that you prayed, Lord, how could you have given us kids? Do you ever think that? Like, why us? Why me? How in the world do I ever possibly deserve this? I remember thinking that on my way home uh, from the hospital with Caleb, Mandy and I, uh, because he was in the NICU for, for two weeks, we ended up driving separate cars and uh, leaving one the night before. So we had to drive home separately. And my car was the one that had the car seat in it. And so we buckle up this little six-pound infant in like what seemed you know, an ocean of a car seat. And, um, and she gets in her car and she drives out. And now I, it's like just me and him in the back seat. And I can't see him on the way home. I mean, talk about petrified. I like... You know, I'm like, you know, green lights are like, that might turn yellow in like 30 seconds, so I better slow down now. Just in case. <laughs> I remember thinking that, that, I mean, it took forever to get home because I'm thinking, how in the world have I, like, been given this responsibility to care over this life? See, if the thought of having influence over your kids doesn't sober you, then I don't think you realize the blessing that they actually are. And so parents, one of the things I would ask you is, do you regularly give God thanks for the blessing that they are? I think oftentimes we get off the rails immediately when we think of our own kids primarily through what they're not. And, and oftentimes as parents, we, we hope for things for them, we want things for them, we want them to grow up, but because of all of those expectations that we've placed on them, We don't actually thank God for who they are now. We see them as a future person rather than an individual. When's the last time you actually gave thanks to God for who they are today? I think of my own two kids and just the fact that I, I get to thank God for Caleb and how God has just gifted him to be such a great big brother to Ethan. I was reminded that somebody had asked him, if uh, if he had, I think he had a shirt on or something that said like he was the, the like the world's best big brother or something and and somebody had asked him are you the the best brother there is and Caleb goes no Ethan's the best brother <laughs> you know like like you just did everyone's hearts in the room just melted you know 
But he really does believe that. I mean, God has just given him such a love for his little brother. I don't understand it. Sometimes it's a little too much. You're like, okay, back off. Like, give him some space because he's, he's, he needs it. And I think of Ethan and just how affectionate and welcoming he is, even to people that he doesn't know real well. I mean, he, he has this gift to light up a room when he smiles or when he, you know, does something. I just, I love that about him. And I, I mean, I experience the same thing each and every day. I get to go in and, you know, and wake him up. And, um, and, and most of the time, he's just, he's so excited to see people. Um, and, and just, I mean, he's such a blessing to us and to others. I just get to thank God for the blessing that they are. Do you do that? And, and those of you who aren't parents, I would just encourage you, you can actually join in the thanksgiving of God for the children in our church family. You're members of one family. And so that means that you get to give thanks to God for His creative work in the children of our church. One thing I love about our church is just how many kids there are. And, and by the way, that's one of the reasons that we don't just part ways at the front door and send all the kids downstairs for the entire time that we're here and just meet as adults. Because that would, that would say something about the value of our kids, I think. I love the fact that when we're worshiping, there are at least six kids like dancing in the aisle. I just love that. And I would encourage you, if you see that as a distraction to your worship in the morning, you are not understanding something about the character and the heart of God. He wants to reveal something to you about Himself through the dancing and the joy of children when they're with us. He does. So which, you know, do you have that perspective? They're a living legacy. And oftentimes it's, it's hard for us to actually understand them as a legacy, um, especially when you're in the, the trenches of parenting. How many of you feel like parenthood is just trench warfare? I mean, can you just be honest? I feel that way too. I really do. Uh, there was a great article, though, uh, that kind of helps us to see maybe the, the, a perspective that we don't often see. It's by, by a, a journalist named Jim Priest, who's also a pastor. And he wrote an article called Sacrifices Made for Family Are Important Now and Later. Okay, I want to read this actually to you. Ever wonder if your life really matters? You sometimes ask yourself whether the sacrifices you've made for your family will have any lasting effect. Let me assure you, your life does matter and your family's sacrifices do have an impact. I base this bold statement on two studies about how a person's actions affect the lives of his or her family in generations to follow. The research centered on the lives of two men, Max Duke and Jonathan Edwards. According to research conducted by Richard Dugdale in an article called The Jukes, a, crime and st- a Study in Crime, Pauperism, Disease, and Heredity. That's a great title for an article, right? A man named Max Juke lived in American colonial times. Juke was reportedly an atheist who believed in liberation from laws. He allegedly advocated free sex, no, moral, no formal education, and hated imposed responsibilities. Dugdale wrote that Juke was a hunter and fisher, a hard drinker, jolly and companionable, averse to steady toil, working hard by spurts and idling by turns. He had innumerous offspring, some of them almost certainly illegitimate. 
In other words, Juke was neither principled nor industrious. Some years later, a man named A.E. Winship studied what happened to the descendants of colonial-era evangelist Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was everything Juke was not, hardworking, God-fearing, and Bible-believing. He was a godly minister who was credited with igniting the Great Awakening through his sermons. He served for, for a brief, brief period just before his death as president of what is now called Princeton University. Edwards is believed in leading by example. Certainly, Juke and Edwards had an effect on their immediate families, but what about the generations that followed? Here's what happened in the years after Juke and Edwards died. Of the, of the 1,026 descendants of Max Juke, 300 were convicts, 27 were murderers, 190 were prostitutes, and 509 were either alcoholics or drug addicts. Dugdale was able to establish that the Jukes had cost the state of New York almost $1.4 million to house, institutionalize, and treat the Juke family. By contrast, the 929 descendants of Jonathan Edwards included 13 college presidents, 18 college professors, 430 ministers, 314 veterans of war, 75 authors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, seven U.S. representatives, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States, and a controller of the U.S. Treasury. Members of his family wrote 135 books and edited 18 journals. They entered the ministry in platoons and sent hundreds of missionaries overseas. There is scarcely any American industry that has not had one of his family among its chief promoters. Later on, a woman named Elizabeth Dobbs wrote this. She said, has any other mother and father contributed more vitally to the leadership of a nation? Can you imagine having that be said about you someday? I, I don't know uh, about you or how you read that or hear that, but I, I just know for myself, I don't want my life to end with me because my life is not about me. I want my life to affect people I will never meet. I want it to change places and people and nations. And parents, I'm convinced that you want this too. Deep down inside of you, there is something that wants that very same thing because it is God's imprint into you to want to be a creative image bearer the way that he created you to be. And so as you think about that, you might think that leads you to being hopeful over your future. And um, if that's the case, then you probably don't have kids yet because you probably haven't like gone into the trenches a little bit with them. Or it might lead you to feel hopeless, fearing that you could become like the Juke family, or maybe you already have. Maybe you fear that that legacy has already begun or that you're the product of that kind of generational legacy and maybe you have no power to change it. Or maybe you hear this story and you think, we need to protect our kids from the world rather than send them out because it is a messed up place out there with all those Jukes and people like him. And oftentimes, I would say that has been the disposition of the church. 
The church of Jesus Christ looking out at the world and going, in light of all that's happening out there, we need to circle the wagons and protect our kids forever. Because they're going to go out there and they're going to get hurt by all these people. And there is some truth to that. But don't miss what the psalmist says in verse 4. He says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And so please do not think that your children are going to remain helpless, endangered species forever. They have the potential to be shot out into the world to change it. They are mighty tools in the hands of a mighty God who wants to bring change in the world, and He wants to do it through people like you and your kids. We have to believe that. Otherwise, if we don't, Parenting will be an exercise in protection alone rather than training. We will want to protect our kids, seeing them as helpless victims of this world's evil rather than tools in the hands of a mighty God. There's a great article that was written by a man named Douglas Wilson called Raising Arrow Children. And he says this, bringing up children as though they will be perpetually endangered is to create a circumstance where they likely will be. You catch that? In other words, if you want to protect them because you're afraid of what could happen to them in this world, then you're telling them that they should probably be afraid of this world, which will result in them being afraid of this world. See, they won't know that in Christ they can have power to stand against this world and to change it for His glory. They won't know that if they don't see it in you. And they see it in the way that you train them up to leave your house rather than be protected forever. See, here's the thing about arrows. They are very fragile when they're not moving somewhere. Right? I mean, if you find an arrow on the ground, it doesn't take much effort to snap that thing in half. But when it's propelled through the air at a target, try to stop it then. Very difficult. The arrows are designed to pierce, and in order to pierce, they need to be moving somewhere. So we need to see our parenting not just as keeping our kids, remaining them in a safe environment, but moving them towards a target. Doug goes on to say this When you look at children, do not see, uh, do, do you see potential victims or potential heroes? The eyes of faith see both. We should seek to nurture and train children through the defenseless stage, knowing that on the other side of that endangered state is what we are truly after, a dangerous state. This is the choice that all parents should embrace with real integrity. Do you want to bring up endangered kids or dangerous kids? And uh, just so we know... You know, kids are apples who don't fall far from the tree. Uh, Doug has a son whose name is Nate. Nate wrote a book called Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl, Wide-Eyed Wonder in God's Spoken World. And he says this, The world is R-rated, and no one is checking IDs. Do not try to make it G by imagining the shadows away. Do not try to hide your children from the world forever. But do not try to pretend there is no danger. So what should we do? Should we protect them or send them out? A third option, he says, train them. 
Give them sharp eyes and bellies full of laughter. Make them dangerous. Make them yeast. And when they've grown, they will, they will pollute the shadows. See, what are they both saying? Train up your kids to be arrows shot out into a broken world with the intention of bringing hope and light and life where there is depravity, darkness, and death. Parents, I hope you realize this, but your, your kids aren't just a way to carry forward your family name. They are your means to shoot light into darkness. They are your means by which to shoot healing into brokenness and hope into despair. So please don't hide them. Don't cower with them. Prepare them. Prepare them to be a force that this world desperately needs them to be. Get them ready to change this place. I'm convinced this is why God gives us years to to incubate them. So that they will be ready. But that must be our intention. Now, here's the thing. You can hear that and go, that sounds really tough. I mean, how would we even do that? Can we do that? Let me ask you, can you do that? Can you? Yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes and no. At the same time. Here's what the... I, I, didn't, I discovered something as I was researching for this. I didn't realize that Psalm 127, 1 and 2 were the same psalm as the rest of the verses. I thought this was a different psalm. It was amazing to me that it's actually the same one. Because he starts out by saying this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. I love the way that ESV puts it. He said, that version says um, that you have the bread of anxious toil. So, parents, the thing that you're not going to hear me say throughout this series is, You can do this. Just get out there and try harder. See, you can't without God. You can't. It it takes a family of people. Don't get me wrong. And it takes moms and dads. But it also takes God Himself. See, unless the Lord builds the house, we are wasting our time. Unless He works in our kids' hearts to change this this world, no lasting change will take place. We need Him. One of the things that I think has been uh, a blessing for us is as we've gotten closer to this series, I I said like, you know, how much of uh, my ability to parent has been kind of going out the window. Um, But Mandy and I have been realizing really more and more that we we don't have a clue when it comes to parenting. We are re- I mean, we're out of our depth. And lately, I'm, things have you know, gotten kind of uh, a little bit more crazy, uh, particularly with Caleb as we've gone along, but we're literally pulling our hair out going, God, what do we do now? Because we don't know what to do. We can't change them. We can't have an impact. We need your help. We're hopeless unless you come and do something. Parents, I just want to say we're wasting our time if we do not go to God and ask Him to change the heart 
and do the work that we can't do because he is the only perfect parent. I said it to Mandy. We were talking about this on Friday night. I said, I I was convicted of this. I think the Spirit spoke to me and said this. Why do you plead with your son more than you plead with me on behalf of your son? I mean, think of all the pleading that we do as parents to get our kids to change and to do what we want. It seems never-ending, doesn't it? Why do we not also give as much effort to pleading before our God who actually has the ability to change our kids' hearts? Because we don't believe he can. We really don't. We put more stock in our ability to shape our children and far too little in, our, in God's ability to love them and be trustworthy with their change. So instead of running to him in our time of need, we look to techniques to try and control what only God has the ability to manage, all the while eating the bread of anxious toil. love the way that Elise Fitzpatrick puts it. She says, yes, of course, parenting is hard work. That's not what we're concerned about. We're concerned about parents who carry on their shoulders the entire burden for their kids' salvation and lifelong happiness. We were never meant to carry the ultimate responsibility for anyone's soul, neither our own or our children's. Only the Good Shepherd, that is only Jesus, is strong enough to carry a soul. That's His job, not ours. And so let me ask you, parents, are you tired? Yes. (laughs) Because that's what parenting is. Are you anxious? Are you able to sleep at night? Do you feel like you're eating the bread of anxious toil when it comes to your kids? I'm just, I'm totally honest with you. Over the last two weeks, I feel like I've done that more than I've done anything else. And the thing that I've been learning is not to try harder, which is hard for us because we want to be able to do something to fix the situation that we're in, right? All of us approach life that way first. But I would encourage you, don't just try harder. Don't just worry more. Don't yell louder or read more or talk longer or be more stern unless you first cry out to God and ask Him for help to meet you in your time of need. If you have not done that first, none of the other things will help you. See, one of the reasons I'm convinced that children are a blessing from the Lord, is that they remind us how badly we need God's help. Kids are great at that, aren't they? Because they lead you right to the end of your abilities. And sometimes over the edge. And here's the deal, though. That's a blessing. Because I'm learning that some of the greatest blessings in my life are the ones that actually lead me to the end of myself and the beginning of God's resources for me. That is His blessing for you. So when you're in a situation where you're saying, this is too hard for me to deal with, so I need to cry out for more resources than I have, that's called humility, which results in grace. James 4, 6 says it this way, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, why are children a blessing? Because if you believe what God says here and you humble yourself 
to cry out to Him, here's what you get. You get God. You get Him, Himself, coming into the midst of your need and being for you what you need in the moment that you could not provide apart from Him. That's what you get. So you won't just come to the end of yourself and be hopeless. You come to the end of yourself and you get someone else. And I just want to say, it, it, just so that we're clear, it is not humble to be in despair and yet refuse to cry out to God. That is still pride. Oftentimes we beat ourselves up and we, we lower ourselves and we think that we're terrible parents or terrible people. And yet, in our time of need, we don't cry out to God, but we cry out against Him rather than to Him. See, if that's the case, we probably see ourselves as a victim with God as our oppressor rather than a sinner with God as our refuge and Savior. And God says that is not humility, that is pride. See, we, we need to be people that cry out, Lord, how can I be saved? Instead of, God, why did you do this to me? See, the reason that God is doing it to us is that He wants us to be saved and to realize that He is our source of salvation, not our source of oppression. And so please, please cry out to God in your time of need. Cry out to Him and say, God, come and do what only you can do. And you know what He'll do? He'll come. And He'll meet you. And He'll provide for you. And He'll be for you what you are not. See, that's the thing I'm convinced more than anything is that God wants to be the perfect Father and ever-present help in your time of need. He wants that desperately for you. And what that means is that we get to see even our failures as opportunities to reconnect with our Heavenly Father and have Him wash us over with grace again. And so please, don't, even, don't hide your failures from your kids either. If you can expose them to God who gives you grace in the time that you need it, don't, expose, don't, don't keep that exposure from your children too. What they need is not to see a perfect parent in you. What they need is to see that there is a perfect Father out there for them and that you are not it. You're not it. And the more that you convince them that you are, the more that they'll, one, see you as needing to come through in every situation without failure, which is unrealistic. And two, they'll think that perfect parents are possible and they will strive to be that themselves, which they cannot. They need a perfect parent and that parent is not you. So what you can do in the moment is actually reveal that you're not the perfect parent, and point them to the one who is. Let me ask, I mean, do you, do you have the grace enough to tell your kids when you fail? Do you have grace enough to go to them and ask for their forgiveness for times of failure? I just, I just want to encourage you that that is not something to fear. It is not something to fear. It is something to embrace. Because as you expose yourself and, and ask for forgiveness, you get grace in the moment, which is exactly what you need as parents. Parents, do you, are you experiencing the grace of God in the way that you parent? 
If not, it's probably because you're trying to live up to some kind of expectations and standards that you cannot meet. And the good news is you don't have to. You don't have to. That's why the psalmist says, for he grants sleep to those he loves. He loves you enough to grant you the ability to rest even though you're not a perfect parent. You get that as part of his family. And I'm convinced though, you, you can't give to your kids what you have not received from him first. You can't do it. Just go ahead and try to give them grace when you don't believe that you've received it in Christ first. It will be impossible for you. And some of you are having a difficult time doing that because you haven't come to the understanding that you've received as a child the, 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 the ability to be part of his family. And you don't see kids as a blessing because you haven't first seen yourself as being a child who blesses the heart of God because he created you and saved you to be part of his family. I just want to encourage you, you can rest because you have the favor of God. Not because you've lived up to some kind of standard in parenting, but because of Jesus' ability to give you rest. You can rest because He loves you. You don't rest because you do a good job and earn it for yourself. See, in Him we are forgiven. And one of the primary things that we need to be forgiven of is our foolish thinking that we think that we can do anything in this life without His help. I mean, I fall into that trap each and every day. I think, okay, today I've got it. I can do it. And then I realize I can't. And I have to understand daily that at the cross, Jesus took upon that sin on Himself so that I can have absolute free access to God and all of His resources. Let me just ask, would you like all of the resources of God to do what you cannot do? Would you, I mean, in your job, in your parenting, in every sphere of life, in the areas where you feel like you can't manage it yourself, would you like the resources of God? I would. And the good news is that we actually have access to those things. You just need to know that we do. But here's the, the flip side of the coin. Because here's what sometimes happens. We think that all the resources come from God and therefore we don't play a role in it. And so we go, all right, well, I guess that means as long as I pray, I can sit back and I don't need to do anything, right? Wrong. See, it's important for us to know that we actually have a role to play. It's not just a let go and let God type thing. Because here's what God is going to do. He's going to work out whatever He puts in you. And so that's why... I love how Paul puts it uh, elsewhere. He's talking to the Corinthian church and he's referencing all of his work that he's done uh, for their behalf. And he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about different teachers who were helping to participate. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. See, what God wants to, to do for you is for Him to come and do to you so that He can parent through you. He wants you to have Him 
so that you have Him to give to your kids as they see you. But it doesn't mean that you won't work. But that you'll get to work with His resources and His wisdom and His energy. I hope you understand too that that this isn't just something that is available to parents. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds your career or sends you into His mission or uh, enables your discipleship of other people, I mean, think of every area of life. Unless He builds it, you labor in vain. The good news, though, is that He wants to build it. And He wants to use us to build it. But nothing is going to change in this world if we don't understand that. That He wants to use us and build us and strengthen us and give us power to do what we can't do. And so here, parents, you need to know this. That if your kids only get you, they get all of your limitations and sin and rebellion. They only get you if they get you, which is kind of the good news and the bad news, right? But if you give them God, they get Him, which means they get access to limitless resources. See, each week in this series, we're going to cover a different aspect of parenting, but if we don't start here, then, then any talk of techniques or strategies is going to fall short. It will not result in anything resulting a living legacy. I'm convinced that God wants more for you than just to know the right techniques. He wants for you to know Him in the midst of parenting and discipleship. And by the way, if you feel, especially parents, because often we feel this way, and more and more so as time goes on, that uh, what we're talking about just isn't possible anymore, that I'm talking to parents of infants who have years ahead of them, and you maybe you're in a, a situation where you feel like, I've, I've spent the lion's share of the time, and there's been no result. Or, I've been part of a family that looks a little bit more like the Jukes than it does the Edwards. And if you, just, if you knew my heritage, if you knew the family that I've been a part of, you would be going, it's just not possible. If you knew the generations of my family. One of the things I love about the way that the Gospels write um, the story of Jesus is that two of them start with a genealogy. Do you know what a genealogy is? It's just a list of, of, of the family from one generation to another from the beginning until the time of Jesus. And oftentimes we read that either in complete boredom because we don't understand what it's about, or we read it like a list of Hall of Fame candidates, you know? Like, man, look at all the people that suddenly then resulted in Jesus. If, if, you're, if you actually knew the stories of all those people, you would not say that. You would look at the, at the lineage of Jesus' life and you'd go, man, there is one mess up after another. I mean, look at the, the hall of shame <laughs> that, that led up to Jesus' life. How in the world could anyone like Jesus result in a family heritage like that? And yet you look through the list and you go, 
it looks more and more hopeless as generations go on. And then suddenly Jesus comes in and he changes a thousand generations in one lifetime. Please, please believe this, that Jesus can do the same in your family. If he can change a thousand generations of his family lineage, he can do the same in your family. It is not too late. So please don't give up. He wants to come into the midst of your family and do that. God is bigger than your work. He he is able to come in and even redeem generations. You think he can do it with decades? I think he can. Each week I want to give you a little bit of an assignment. Just something to go and kind of think about for the week. And so this week for parents, a couple questions. One is, are you regularly thanking God for the blessing that each unique child is to you? And, And have you told them the blessing that they are to you? So there's two parts to that one. Thank God and let them know that you're thanking God for them. They need to hear it from you. This world will tell them everything but the fact that they are a blessing. And so they need to have some of those lies replaced with the truth. And only you can do that. Secondly, I want to call you to begin to prayerfully depend on God for each of your kids. Specifically praying for them by name and asking what God would have you to pray for for each of them. Um, That is something that that, uh, Mandy and I started to do in our family, and and a lot of it has centered around who we believe God uh, wants them to be. And uh, and actually for us, it it kind of resulted in each of their names. So I don't know if I've ever said this before, but the reason that Caleb and Ethan have the names that they do is centered around who we really feel like God wants them to be when they grow up. And so for Caleb, we named him after the Caleb of the Old Testament who by his faith silenced a generation of critics. We thought there's nothing that God would want more for the next generation of our family than to have someone who, who, whose faith is, is completely in God's ability and not in his own ability and is able to silence even people that would criticize him for that. That he would have that kind of faith. And then Ethan, we named him after the one of the psalmists, uh, who says, Blessed is the man who has learned to acclaim you, O God, who walks in the light of your presence. I, I, even the first you know, 19 months of his life, I'm starting to see God give uh, the result of that prayer. And I, I just I long for him to grow up to be a man who understands what it means to walk in God's presence, to know his face, and to teach others how to do the same. What is God calling you to pray for your kids? Get serious about that this week, will you? For those of you who might not be parents, I just want to call you to this too, because you're part of this this family. Pray for the kids in our community because they're part of your family too. And then also, don't just pray for them, but start treating them as if they're your own family. That's the glorious thing. I think that 
one of the primary demonstrations of the gospel to those that come and see our community will be people that don't even have kids of their own treating all of the kids in our community as if they belong to them too. Because the truth is, in Christ they do. And so that means treat them as if they're your own.